afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Unbothered, your host, Josh Morani. Today, I'm going to be recapping week three, which to me, looking back at it now, is really a wonky week compared to last week and even week one. Uh, I don't know if it's just me, but week three might seem like a little bit of an outlier for the rest of the season. So with week three get being over, I'm also going to break down my top 10 teams in the NFL through three weeks. And then NBA had their media days. All teams are speaking. I'm going to get to all of those as well, or the main highlights of those media days. So before I get started with my week three recap, I thought it would be a great point of reflection why I do this podcast and why I enjoy doing it and why I talk about the NFL so much compared to other sports. So the reason I started doing my podcast is because I just wanted to talk about sports and for there to be an outlet just for sports only. Uh, You know, so many other sports shows mix in politics and social issues, uh, and a lot of that I don't want to hear when talking about sports. Uh, When you watch a sports game, there's usually little to no commentary on outside matters. It's just a game. So that's one thing that, you know, you can really escape from up there. But when so many, you know, sports shows on the media, television, podcasts, they want to mix in you know, political and social issues into sports talk. And I'm not a big fan of that. I like my sports separate. If I want to hear social issues and political news, I'll go to Fox or CNN. You know, that's what I do. But when it comes to sports, I just want to hear about sports, stats, analytics, who's doing good, who's not doing good. Is this fixable? Is this not fixable? That's what I want to hear. I want to hear sports talk, sports debate, something like that. I don't want to hear any of the other junk associated with it. And to me, to me, that's a reason why I gravitate to the NFL more and enjoy the NFL more. And to me, subsequently, part of the reason is that's why it has higher ratings as well is because the NFL cares about their product. Roger Goodell, I think, is a great commissioner. He has done a great job at, you know, generating revenue for the league, for owners, GMs, for the players. Everybody gets paid, and most of the time everybody's happy. And there's usually no social issues or political, uh, you know, uh, news at work intertwined with the NFL. Yes, there was the Colin Kaepernick issue uh, like a few years ago, five years ago. But outside of that, you know, when we talk about the NFL and people talk about the NFL, very rarely do we bring up politics and social issues at all. Uh, and I think Roger Goodell does a great job, you know, of sort of monitoring that. And, you know, when you talk about the NFL and you talk, you talk about NFL players, it's about the sport, 
It's about rankings. It's about doing better. And at the end of the day, it's just about wins. It's a short season. It's a long off season. Uh, so the majority of the time is going to be on games, on wins, on losses, who's injured, who's not, fantasy football. All these things are involved in the NFL. But when you take a league like the NBA, for example, that's one that's mired with social and political issues and uh, every time big news happens in the NBA uh, as of recently, it's for something about other than NBA players. It's Ime Udoka's uh, year-long ban because of a consensual relationship with a staff member. And outside of that, nobody else in the world knows any details on it. It's Robert Sarver and his, uh, you know, basically getting canceled from the NBA. He's put his team up for sale. Uh, He blames an unforgiving nature of the world as a whole. And I kind of agree with the second part of what he said that, you know, the climate we're in now is very unforgiving. And I do believe that uh, as a whole, I don't think people now are very forgiving at all. It's, you know, it's agree with my opinion or you can't have any opinion. It's cancel culture. That's at least what social media is pushing. And then you have Adam Silver and the star players, you know, it's driven by the star players. It's Steph Curry Collins, Adam Silver about Robert Sarver after he said he can't really do anything about this issue. And it's, you know, if this owner, you know, you know, says something that we don't agree with, it's, you know, got to put them up for sale. A team, you got to force them into a spot like that. Uh, you know, it's, you know, talking about all this voting when not everybody's registered to vote, not everybody can vote. Uh, some people that watch a product under 18 can't vote, but people want to talk about issues and all that junk, all that junk that doesn't associate with basketball itself. And a lot of that is driven by the players. It's driven by the stars. It's a lot of talk about money and holdouts and trades. And, you know, the product never feels the same from one year to the following year. And to me, that's where I resonate more with the NFL and enjoying watching that sport much more. So I just want to reflect on that for a minute before I talk about NFL for the majority of this podcast. Uh, and as I've been doing, talking about the NFL for majority of most of my podcasts. So let's get started with the week three recap. And last night's Giants and Cowboys game, I picked Dallas, you know, just because Giants are 3-0. and So that was more of an, a heart pick right there. I don't want the Giants to be 3-0. I didn't think they were that good. And as I was watching that game yesterday, uh, very, very sloppy until, uh, you know, the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter, fourth quarter. Saquon 
to me had a beautiful 60-yard touchdown run, weeding through defenders, uh, making a play in space, making Trevon Dix miss. To me, that was a highlight play there for the Giants. It was great. A C.D. Lamb with an awful drop, and then he redeemed himself and had a great, great one-handed catch uh, in the end zone for a touchdown. This was one of his better games for this short season that we've started so far. He had eight receptions, 87 yards, and a touchdown. He looked good uh, receiving, but this game was about which quarterback can be more efficient. And Cooper Rush just looked better than Daniel Jones. I said this at the beginning of the season, that the Giants weren't going anywhere with Daniel Jones, and I nicknamed him Disaster Danny. That was his nickname. And yesterday, he was a disaster. Yes, the offensive line is in shambles. Evan Neal, the offensive tackle, right tackle out of Alabama, has looked like a bust so far, but I'm not going to say or delve into that because he's only played three games. There's still a lot of football left for him. But the New York Giants offensive line's not good. Daniel Jones doesn't help that because his pocket awareness is not that high when, you know, you have edge rushers coming off the edge. Uh, he doesn't have a great six-sense pocket presence like a Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers has. When they kind of know that the pocket is collapsing, Daniel Jones doesn't have a great sense of that. And I think we're getting into that part. This is his fourth year. I don't know if he's going to develop that as well. He looked helpless. He took five sacks, a QBR of 41. He threw an interception, no touchdown passes. He was scrambling a lot out there, but he only threw for 196 yards with a completion percentage uh, just above 50%, uh, 55%. It didn't look good for Daniel Jones out there. Didn't look good. Cooper Rush, on the other hand, was much more efficient. A 68 QBR. uh, Completion percentage above 60%. He threw a touchdown, no interceptions. And the other thing about the Giants or the Cowboys, they were effective running the football. Not so much with Ezekiel Elliott, but with Tony Pollard. Uh, he can't really pass block, but Tony Pollard is much more electric. 13 carries, 105 yards. This was a very balanced Cowboys offense. And to me, Kellen Moore and the offense, they're suiting it more to Cooper Rush and making it Cooper Rush friendly. Then they've done with Dak. They've not made it Dak friendly. It's let's look for the deep ball Dak. If not, then you can dink and dunk. We're not really going to run the ball a lot, but there's been a shift with Cooper Rush these past two games. Cooper Rush last game, this game against the Giants, had 31 pass attempts. Dallas had 30 attempts rushing. So again, it stays very balanced. And to me, that's how you win football games in the NFL, by being balanced. I think Dallas has shown that with Cooper Rush much more than they have with Dak. And to me, that's why they're winning. Uh, And it's taken me for a surprise, especially last week when they beat the Bengals. But Cooper Rush has been much more efficient 
than Dak throwing the football. Now, he's not better than Dak. He doesn't have the arm that Dak has, the mobility. None of that uh, at all. But Cooper Rush can play the quarterback position in this offense, in that system, and it works out. Whereas the Giants, it's other than that 36-yard run per Saquon yesterday, there's really not much to see from them. He wasn't that efficient. Daniel Jones looked like he was a meteor leading rusher. He had nine carries for 79 yards. He had to scramble, make things up as he went along uh, because the Giants' offense was not doing good. Now, their defense is ahead of their offense. I think their offense will work, but offensive line has to get better. Daniel Jones is not the answer, and they don't have weapons. Sterling Shepard tore his ACL yesterday. I hope he has a speedy recovery, but that hurts them. Uh, Kenny Galladay has been a non-factor in this Giants offense with Brian Dable. So there's a lot of issues with the New York Giants. Uh, it was a nice 2-0 start, but I don't see them you know, going any farther than that 2-0 start. And I can see it slowly start to crumble for the New York Giants. Next up, I want to talk about the San Francisco Giants and the Denver Broncos. It was a Sunday night game. And Denver won 11-10. Could have been one of the more boring games uh, out there. You know, I could have... Believe it, I thought this game would be higher scoring. I know both teams had good defenses, uh, but this was more about that offense. Uh, Jimmy G and the Niners had a great opening touchdown drive. And other than that, they could not get anything going. Jimmy Garoppolo could, you know, was able to throw the ball. Dio Samuel you know, was able to get involved. Uh, but once they crossed the 50, they had trouble. Uh, from there, uh, they did. Uh, they had trouble with fumbles. They had three fumbles. Two of them lost. Jimmy G lost the fumble. Uh, Wilson fumbled the ball. Jimmy Garoppolo threw a pick. He had a QBR of 14, uh, which is atrocious. He had the safety, and that's going to be in the highlight reel for the record books. And that is when he went back to drop back and throw. Was it mindful of his surroundings, stepped out of bounds, uh, out of the end zone, and it was a safety. And it actually worked out in their favor because he threw a pick six. Uh, he threw a pick six, but it was called back because of a safety that occurred first. So the play, you know, was whistled dead at that point. So that was atrocious. But then Dan Olofsky, who is an ESPN analyst, was talking about freedom, uh, that, you know, this happened to somebody else, so, you know, he was just praising somebody else's faults so that he wasn't alone in his own conversation. Well, Dan, let me tell you this. Uh, Jimmy G took two steps back in the end zone. You, my friend, ran, ran the whole end zone. You got underneath the goalpost and were running out. Looking to play, you know, you took 25 steps compared to the two. Uh, 
and you're nothing, nowhere near Jimmy G's level. So let's pause the breaks there. Uh, but then, um, in the fourth quarter, Melvin Gordon had the go-ahead touchdown run. There, Jim or Russell Wilson with a great drive, which to me was vintage. You know, Russell Wilson. Uh, you know, audibling, making plays with his legs. You know, that was a Russell Wilson I was used to seeing in Seattle, and he had the game-winning drive. But to me, this is the thing with Jimmy G, where there's a stopgap. I love Jimmy G. I think he's efficient. I'm going to give him a break and not blame him for the loss because the whole offense, you know, really couldn't get it done. But when it comes to the crunch time, and we saw this last year against the Rams in the NFC Championship game, you need a two-minute drive to go ahead and, you know, put him in the field goal range. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it today or yes, um, on Sunday. So to me, that's the issue with Jimmy G. The one real hang-up is that right there. It's in the clutch. Is he going to lead me to a game-winning drive? And it's hard to do. Not many quarterbacks can do it, but I'm not going to pin this loss on Jimmy G and, you know, his ability when, especially this is his first start in a regular season. He came in relief last week, didn't have a training camp or a preseason, so this is the first live action he's getting. Oh, and by the way, his offensive tackle, the best in football, Trent Williams, got injured, so that hurts the team as well. And now I want to talk about Green Bay in Tampa. Because I was at that game, and, you know, I wasn't expecting it to be the Tampa Bay-Green Bay games of the past where Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers were combining for, uh, you know, 600 yards passing, 650, 700, things like that, and a bunch of touchdowns, uh, you know, Tom Brady was missing three of his top four weapons, and Julio Jones, Mike Evans suspended, and Chris Godwin due to injury. So I knew Tom Brady was going to be handicapped to an extent. Aaron Rodgers as well. Uh, Randall Cobb was dealing with an illness. He was limited. Uh, Christian Watson was also uh, injured. So you had that there, and I thought, you know, both teams were going to have to survive running the football, but both teams didn't really run the football that effectively. Leonard Fournette had 12 carries, 35 yards, average of 2.9. He wasn't that effective all night. And on the flip side for Green Bay, uh, they averaged 2.7 yards on 25 carries for a total of 67. Both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon had 12 carries. Both of them had just under 40 yards. So it wasn't a great day rushing for either teams. But I thought Aaron Rodgers, I, I mean, my bad, I thought Tom Brady played a little bit better than Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers had the wonky pick there. Uh, Logan Ryan uh, kind of just read him, read where he was going, intercepted it. Uh, Tom Brady, like I said, playing down uh, most of his guys. I thought he was able to distribute the football well. The thing that killed Tampa Bay and why they didn't win this game outside of the two-point conversion 
was two fumbles uh, that were bad. Russell Gage with a bad fumble when they're on Packer territory. Same with Brashad Perryman. You can't fumble in the other team's territory. To me, that's unacceptable. Uh, Tampa Bay can't be doing that and expect to win football games. And the other thing was the penalties. Yes, the offensive line is mired with injuries, but Tristan Wirfs with a false start holding is well on the offensive line multiple times, calling it back. And then a, a bad trick play with Scotty Miller and, uh, you know, I think Brashad Perryman, uh, you know, just the handoff there was bad. So just it wasn't a clean. But I do think if these two teams were to meet again, healthy, Tampa Bay would wipe the floor with them. If Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans are playing, even if they get back Randall Cobb's more healthy, Christian Watson, Tampa Bay's better. Their defense was outstanding. Uh, getting to Aaron Rodgers, sacked him once, pressured him as well quite a bit, forced him to make bad throws. Uh, the fumble that Aaron Jones, Vita Vea, dropping back into coverage was tremendous. Crowd got crazy for that. Uh, so I'm not taking too much stock into this. I am upset because now this factors into the, you know, head-to-head seeding down there at the end for the number one seed. Uh, and that hurts Tampa with this tie-break head-to-head loss there against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I know Tom thinks about those things. The Bucks do. This is one they like to have back. Uh, this is one I think Mike Evans, you know, shouldn't have got suspended for. So that hurt them right there. But when I look at the Packers, you know, their offense was completely inept after the first two drives. I'm going to place a lot of that on the Buccaneers' defense for being that stout, that elite. But I just don't think that offense is that good. I just don't. Yes, they can beat the lowly Packers, or I mean the lowly Bears. Their Bears aren't good. But the NFL schedulers, you know, the people that make these odds, there's a reason why they traded Devontae. And they had a slight drop in their odds of making the Super Bowl and why everybody still picked them to win the Super Bowl. A, a lot of the NFC is weak as well. And B, they have an easy schedule. They just do. They got cupcakes against the Bears. But now it's just really looking favorable. I don't know the last time I watched a team have three straight home games, but the Packers are about to have three straight home, uh, I should say, it's three straight home games, even though one is in London. Uh, and guess what? Their next three games, Patriots, no Mac Jones, Giants, uh, who don't look that good, and then the Jets at home. And then they play at the Commanders. So you're basically giving them four straight wins right there. And they're going to And then they'll have a tough test in Buffalo. They'll probably lose that one. Then they play the Lions divisional game. Cowboys, depends. Packers kind of own them. Titans aren't that good. Then they play the Eagles, Finnish, Bears, uh, Rams tough, Dolphins tough, uh, Vikings line. So they don't have a hard schedule. The, they make it easy on the Packers. They just do yes. In the past, they've gotten basically two free wins from the Lions. And the Bears, 
think that'll continue with the Bears. Lions might put on a tougher fight, but the Packers are overall just a better team. Do I think they're a deep, great team? No. But as I look at the state of NFL, especially when I get to Buffalo, I don't see now, after the injuries that have happened to Buffalo, it's kind of even the playing field. I don't see one great team. Uh, to me, the field is great. There's a lot of depth. As Richard Sherman said, there's no gimmies in the NFL. There just isn't. Nobody sits down, and there's no team like Alabama or Michigan and Ohio State and Georgia play. The Kent States, the Yukons, the Troys and Toledos. Or it's a gimme win. It's a layup. There are none of those in the NFL. These are paid men that come to play and do a job. So that's why there's a less scoring disparity and the games are better. There's no, usually no crazy blowouts uh, like there is in college with kind of those gimme wins. But week two, uh, I'm not going to go through every game like I usually do. But to me, there's a lot of craziness in week two. Houston-Chicago, my upset pick was Houston. Houston could have won that game. Chicago, again, doesn't look good. Justin Fields says he played terrible. Uh, I agree for the most part. He didn't play good. Two interceptions, eight completed passes for seven, uh, out of 1,706 yards. They're not letting him throw the ball. Uh, Chicago is severely handicapped, Justin Fields. In the Chicago offense, it's not good. It doesn't look good. They were lucky to squeak that one out with a game-winning field goal in the fourth quarter. Uh, as time expired, neither of these teams are good, uh, but Chicago's offense is lackluster, to say the least. Las Vegas, Tennessee. But let me just say I am very happy that I changed my pick uh, Las Vegas, that was my one switcheroo right before the season started. I picked Las Vegas in the earlier in the offseason to win the division. And then right before the season started, that was my one switch. I said, uh, I don't like the Raiders to win it. And the Raiders are the only 0-3 team. They're the only team to have lost every game so far. They're the only one with that mark. Yes. The offense just doesn't look cohesive. Uh, Derek Carr is not playing efficiently like we saw him towards the end of last year. A QBR of 63, uh, two touchdowns and an interception. Him and Devontae Adams are not on the same page. Now in the goal line, Devontae Adams is special, uh, but way they can kind of uh, line him up down there, you know, it's great. But getting there, it's tough. Hollins, again, is your leader back-to-back. That's a problem. They need to give Devontae the ball more. He's the star. Uh, that's something they need to happen. I'm totally fine with balancing the offense uh, with rushing and passing the ball. But you got to be able to pass uh, better than what Las Vegas is doing. And they should, to me, be able to score more than what they have. To me, they have a great offense. Derek Carr's got weapons. He's got Darren Waller and Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro. Yes, uh, Las Vegas offensive line is not great, but to me, Derek Carr's athletic. He's not a super athlete, 
but he's athletic enough to make some plays. He should be able to make some plays, and he's just not making them. Tennessee gets their first win, Las Vegas. That had me start off on an 0-3 day. Kansas City and Indianapolis. I had, you know, just a small feeling Indianapolis could pull this one out to me, the way they're constructed. They could take down to Kansas City. Uh, but Kansas City, uh, that's one of the games right there where they miss Tyreek Hill. They need a long conversion. They need, uh, you know, the defense needs to respect a deep threat. That's what they needed. And they don't have that anymore uh, with uh, no one on their team. Uh, now with Juju or uh, Kelsey or Vela Scanley, those are nice possession wide receivers. Uh, give a ball in space, they might make a play, but they don't have nobody deep over a shot. Nicole Hardman, Valdez Scanley, they don't have Tyreek speed. Tyreek has that speed. He's one of one. And they can't run the football to save their life. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had seven carries. For zero yards. Seven carries. He was tied for the most carries and had zero yards. Uh, this Kansas City offense is very one-dimensional. Uh, very, very, very one-dimensional. It's Patrick Mahomes dimensional is what it is. Uh, when he's your leading rusher, there's going to be problems. And there was problems yesterday. He made a, made a bad throw, bad interception. There, Eric Bieniemy let him hear it. But that was... You know, not a good play by Patrick Mahomes late in the game, and you throw that interception uh, right there, and it seals the game for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, Ryan, much more efficient. This is the most efficient game of the year. Jonathan Taylor was just all right, but I have to tip my hat off to the Colts. They look better. Than the Kansas City Chiefs, and this was one, you know, I thought Kansas City could win. But this is another game that showed me that you really don't know the Super Bowl favorites or who's going to be there at the end because everybody has something wrong with their roster. This Chiefs team being, a, you know, just par defense and no running game. Detroit and Minnesota, Dan Campbell. The coach I love made some poor coaching decisions there at the end of the game. Took the 14-0 lead, had it strong. They let him come back in the second half. It's 14-14. Then Detroit takes a 24-14 lead going into the fourth quarter. But nope, Dan Campbell with a couple bad moves. Uh, One is, you know, it's late in the game. You have to operate a four-minute offense. And they're calling plays with 15 seconds left on the play clock. You know, wasting about a minute there. That was a bad decision. Dan Campbell talked about rhythm. But that's one, hey, you stay in the huddle until 15 seconds are left. Then you break out, get into your lineup, and call plays. I'm not worried about the rhythm. I'm worried about winning this game. That was a bad decision. And then, uh, you know, in a fourth and five, You've gone for it already. You're four for five on fourth down conversions. That game, great. And then that one, you don't go for it. You try Austin Seibert out for a, I think, 53-yarder. He already missed a 40-plus-yarder. Is not a great field goal kicker, and he misses it terribly. And then Minnesota walks down right after that and scores a touchdown. That was bad. You either punt it, pin him deep, or you go for it. 
and even if you go for it and don't get it, you don't give them as generous a starting spot. So Dan Campbell, with a couple of bad gaffes yesterday, uh, could easily this team could easily be a three and O team uh, so far in one possession games this year. They are zero and two. Now DeAndre Swift is banged up, but I still got confidence of the Lions. I thought this would happen. Their true road test. And Dan Campbell has to coach a little better. Baltimore, New England. Lamar Jackson looked great. But the real storyline coming out of this game was Mac Jones and his high ankle sprain that he's going to miss some time. Uh, this year, a few weeks. With that, might require surgery. He wasn't playing great before that. Three interceptions. But that hurts his team, hurts his efficiency moving forward. And Justin Tucker showed that he's human. He missed an extra point. Very rarely do we see Lamar Jackson miss a miss league, let alone an extra point. Uh, I think that's one he'd like to have back. Cincinnati and New York. Cincinnati got their first win of the season, got revenge on New York. New York beat them last year. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon operated very efficiently, and the New York Jets were just not on that level. Philadelphia and Washington. Philadelphia looks very efficient, very good. Jalen Hurts is accounting for a lot of this offense, but I like the way he's doing it. When we see, look at Josh Allen, who accounts for a lot of the uh, Bills offense, he's just taking a lot of hits. Even if it's not sacks, he's just getting hit a lot. Whereas Jalen Hurts to me, he's much more smooth and silky. He's not taking as many hits. That's just that's better for him this season for longevity. Jalen Hurts has just been amazing. Yesterday, 340 yards, three touchdowns, uh, QBR of 85. Uh, his average uh, completion is, you know, 10 yards. It's a first down every time. Devontae Smith absolutely went off yesterday, complimented by A.J. Brown. Uh, this Eagles team is very good uh, and will compete in the NFC. New Orleans and Carolina. Carolina got their first win yesterday. Congratulations to Baker Mayfield and company. Thought it would happen. Jameis Winston in the clutch, two interceptions, didn't look good yesterday uh, outside of that first game where the New Orleans Saints could easily be looking at 0-3, they're 1-2. Buffalo and Miami, that was a crazy game. It was hot, people were falling down, Bills, you know, defensive backs were out, Poyer, Hyde, Jadavius White, Dane Jackson. I thought the offense would be a bit better, and they weren't. Uh, the Dolphins matched them, and, you know, Josh Allen, I think, I don't know if it's a mechanical issue, but it was last week against the Titans, uh, and yesterday against the Dolphins. When it's like a fourth and one, and you need like a yard, he has a tendency to throw the ball at the ground with the runner out to the right side. I don't know what it is but he kind of just skids the ball to the receiver. So that's something that worries me. Again, with the Bills team, is uh, third and short, fourth and short, 
because they don't have a running game. And it's like, do we run it with Josh Allen? And it's like, what do we do there? You only can run so many plays uh, for those a year uh, before defenses start to figure uh, you out or have you figured out. But I thought Miami was excellent. I thought Buffalo was the best team coming in uh, to that game. And Miami played great. Uh, Tua is a great distributor of a football. And that's all you need him to be when you have Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Now, he was just tremendous. Uh, I thought, in managing the game. Chargers in Jacksonville. Jacksonville absolutely stomped L.A. I did not see that coming. I thought even if Justin Herbert's a little dinged up, that wouldn't happen. But it did. Jacksonville, very impressive. The Chargers, uh, it might be time to panic. Joey Bosa exited the game with an injury. Uh, Herbert or Justin Herbert, is not playing his best football. He's dealing with his rib injury. Uh, Looking kind of scary for the Chargers. Rams and Cardinals. Rams continue their ownership of the Cardinals. Uh, Good defensive game, uh, but the Rams were dominant for the most part of it. Uh, Open to a 13-0 lead before it got to 13-9 field goals, but Arizona couldn't get a touchdown. And usually in this league right now, you got to score touchdowns to win. Uh, four field goals ain't going to cut it. Uh, so, Arizona, I'm sorry that the Rams own you. Uh, Kyler Murray, throwing for 58 times a game. I thought Marquise Brown did good, but they had no running game at all. Uh, and the Cardinals just couldn't get it done. And then Atlanta beat Seattle. Atlanta got their first win this season. That's when I had, but... Usually I do much better for my picks, I'll be honest with you. I was 8-8. Eight and eight. Very subpar, I'm sorry for that. I'm going to do better. Uh, but this week was a weird week, but also a telling week. And also some trends as well. On my previous podcast, you know, the San Francisco-Denver game, uh, very similar situation, San Francisco week three. Uh, they play a Sunday night game. A tough opponent, they lose a close one, you know, in the final minutes. That's exactly the same trend happened yesterday. Uh, Tampa Bay, week three last year, uh, going into a no, looking good. They lose to a good NFC a conference opponent that they'll see later on. Last year was the Rams. Yesterday was, or Sunday was the Green Bay Packers. So just some recent trends there, uh, you know. Not a lot of teams start 3-0. Rare to do that. But here we are. And uh, crazy week of the NFL. But now that week three is over, time to get to my top ten teams in the NFL right now. And just, you know, there's some teams I like still, like the Bengals. There's still hope on the Chargers. But one and two teams can't make the cut. You can't be a top 10 team and only have one win and be sub 500. So let's start with number 10. And that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes, just based off the eye test alone, they are a team that could easily be 3-0 and uh, this year. But they're not. They had that weird loss to the Commanders. Uh, earlier in their first game, but since then they've looked great. Jacksonville uh, beat 
the Colts handily, shut them out, and then handled the Chargers as well. Offense, they're very good. They're just outside the top 10. Doug Peterson is an excellent coach, and we're also a top 10 team defensively. So when you're that good on both sides of the ball, you're likely to win games and through three games. That's what Jacksonville is doing, and that's why they're number 10. Number nine, the Dallas Cowboys, another team right there that's two and one. Bad first loss. Didn't look good against the Buccaneers, but Andrew Cooper Rush, two straight wins. Offense is picking it up, and then Dallas is a top 10 defense. Micah Parsons has looked great. Demarcus Lawrence took the sack uh, total yesterday up for himself. He looked really good. Uh, his defense. Again, helping this offensive line. That's kind of what we've been seeing with the top team so far. Is the defense is keeping teams of their offense in games just enough to win it. Uh, and that's exactly what the Cowboys have done. Uh, they've been very efficient. Number eight, the Baltimore Ravens. Now this is a team that's on the other side. Baltimore is the worst team defensively right now. By about 150 yards through three games, uh, letting up over 450 yards per game. Defensively, haven't looked very good at all. But offensively, we're a top five unit in the NFL. 380 yards and the uh, average so far per game. They're first in points per game at 33. Uh, so, yes, they are a very good team. Passing the football, running the football, they're very balanced. Lamar Jackson, I'll admit, is playing great. Uh, not here to hate on Lamar today, but Baltimore is playing really good. Number seven, the Los Angeles Rams. Yes, the Rams are 2 and one bad opening loss to the Bills. They do have some issues, offensive line uh, and defensive depth. But, you know, the Rams are... Winning games, offense, again, hasn't been that good. Uh, it's weird because, you know, both their offensive and defensive units are outside the top 15. But you're winning football games, and that's all that matters uh, in the NFL. Even when you have to endure Matthew Stafford throwing a bunch of interceptions. Thankfully, he didn't do that yesterday. He didn't throw any touchdowns either. Uh but this is a team you still have to worry about with playmakers on both sides of the ball. Number six, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I didn't want to put a miss low, but I really do expect, uh, I really do respect head to head. So that's one thing I have to give it up uh, for my next two spots right there. It head to head does matter uh, to me, but Tampa Bay again, defensively, They've been great, top five in the league, uh, third in yards per game, and then, again, first in points per game, and getting after the quarterback, pressuring, getting sacks. The defense is stout. Offensively, again, it's bad right now. It looks bad. You know, last year they were one for most of the season, then finished up at two offensively in terms of points and yards. I'm just going to say I'm still preaching patience with them. Wait until Mike Evans and Godwin comes back, and I think we see this team operate at a much more efficient level. 
yes, I think Todd Bowles is a head coach. Bruce Arians was an offensive guy. Uh, Todd Bowles is a defensive guy. I think that swings it just a touch. But, again, they don't have their playmakers in right now. Number five, the Green Bay Packers. Like I said, I respect the head-to-head. Do they have a top-five offense? No, we do not. But they have a top-ten defense. Uh, they're able to get after the quarterback, uh, stop a run. I showed that against Lenny. And Sunday, uh, they got corners in Jair Alexander and Rasul Douglas. So the defense is just fine, but like the offense, again, it's not a great unit right now. Running the football, very good, but passing, uh, still a lot to be desired with this team. Number four, the Kansas City Chiefs. Great offense, top 10. Uh, Right there, in terms of points, the only teams scoring more points than them are the Baltimore Ravens, the Detroit Lions, and the Buffalo Bills. Kansas City is right there at 29 points per game. They have a great offense uh, passing the football. Uh, they're right there, again, in the top 10. Running the football is a bit of their weakness. But, again, great defense. And in terms of their... I mean, great offense. In terms of their defense, they are sitting there right there at 10 in terms of yards. So they're playing great, but they do score. Teams do score on them. They don't have a great scoring defense. But Chris Jones can get after it. A couple of bad penalties, of course, led to their loss this past week. But the Chiefs, to me, are fine. They're at number four. Number three, the Buffalo Bills. Like I said, I respect that to head. And the Bills lost, and another team won, so I had to drop them down. Offensively, the Bills are second right now in offense uh, in terms of yards per game, 441 yards. Uh, They are number one in pass yards per game, and they're number three in points per game. Uh, This offense is electric. It's great. They have no issues. And number one, they're number one defensively in terms of yards per game. Uh, and four in points per game. So a top five unit on both sides of the football, that usually bodes very well for you. Uh, and I think it will continue for Buffalo most of the season for them. Uh, but like I said, the team beat them, so they can't be number one, even though statistically uh, they are number one. Number two, the Philadelphia Eagles. Offensively, Philadelphia, 447 yards per game, 28 points per game. They lead the league in yards so far this season. They're top five in points. Very good offense. Jalen Hurts accounts for a lot of this offense uh, in terms of, you know, rushing offense. They're top 10. Uh, pass, you know, they're top 10, so are top five. So this offense is just high. Uh, operating in a very high efficiency. And then defensively as well, top five unit. They're able to get after the quarterback as well. Darius Slay has been brilliant to start the season. So like the Buffalo Bills, top five in both offensive and defensive categories, that usually bodes very well for you, and it is so far for Philadelphia. But I don't have them at one. And number one is a team that beat what I thought was the best team and what most people thought was the best team, and that's the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, 
beat the Buffalo Bills. They're three and zero. Only two undefeated teams: Philadelphia, I just mentioned, and the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins has looked very good with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle there. That's a scary wide receiver duo. To me, it's the best wide receiver duo in the league right now. Tua is playing really good. Uh, defensively, you know, I'd like to see a bit more from them. They're the second worst defensively second to Baltimore. Uh, that can't last if they hope to make a playoff run or even hope to pull out the, the, the division. Uh, but I think overall, Miami is going to continue to learn and grow. I think Mike McDaniels is a terrific coach, uh, and they had the best win so far out of any team, and that's against the Buffalo Bills. So those are my top ten teams in the NFL. The Jaguars, Cowboys, Ravens, Rams, Bucks, Packers, Chiefs, Bills, Eagles, and Dolphins. Now time to talk about some NBA, finish up with the NBA media day. And first I want to start with the Nets. Oh, the Nets. Oh, the Nets, the Nets, the Nets. Talk about a team with no humility and all ego. That's the Nets. Let's talk about Kyrie Irving first. Oh, how sad it is to be Kyrie Irving. He gave us a sad story. He gave him his victim story, which was him saying that he gave up four years, a hundred and something million dollars to be unvaccinated. Uh, and that was a decision. Get this contract, get vaccinated or be unvaccinated. And there's an uncertainty of your future with your team, with your job. Uh, but he said, you know, we, we're supposed to have that all figured out before training camp, and it just didn't happen because of his vaccination status. Uh, you know, then general manager Sean Marks pushed back on Kyrie Irving a bit, saying, you know, we really didn't give him an ultimatum, but, you know, he just wants people that are reliable and, and accountable. So to me, there's still some risk there with the Nets. Eric Kyrie Irving has a massive ego, trying to play this sad story. But if he would have shown up to work like everybody else last year, he would have gotten paid. Guess what? I show up to work. I expect to get paid. If I do really well, I might get a promotion or a raise. That's just natural. It's I don't show up for days. I don't tell my boss or my team members what's going on and then expect to get more money. That's not how it works. That's not how life works. And I really don't think Kyrie Irving is in touch uh, with how uh, life is like in the real world right now. So he's got a big ego. Uh, Kevin Durant also has a big ego as well. Uh, KD talked about his trade request and he said, you know, you're not going to let somebody like me go. And just why? Because I'm just that good. Again, he's got a God complex. You know, he talk, he, when he tweets, he mentions himself as a God. That rubs me the wrong way. Because uh, he tries to put himself on this level above others. And to me, it's just not right. Uh, that's who he is. 
He's a very egotistical person, and he's not a great leader. Again, no humility. Again, no chemistry. And that's why the Nets, with skilled players, are not going to win a championship. Uh, I don't think there's still a great amount of trust here. I don't think everything's fixed. I think there's a band-aid over the problem. But when times get tough in the playoffs again next year, they ain't winning it. I don't expect them to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone the NBA Finals next year, because of the egotistical state that is the Brooklyn Nets. Then the Lakers. Oh, the Lakers, the Lakers, the Lakers. Don't like talking about them much, but you're talking about running it back with their big three. And then Anthony Davis says he's playing with a chip on his shoulder because we're the underdogs. And it's true. The Lakers are underdogs with this team because they didn't even make the playing tournament last year. They were one of the betting odds favorites for the championship last year. He missed half the season. LeBron James missed 25 games. Russell Westbrook was just terrible. So they don't have a big three. When I see things about the big three, the Lakers got a big one and a half. They got the one in LeBron. And they got half a season in AD. And Russell Westbrook ain't a member of anything big uh, right there. But there was some disconnect as well with the Lakers. Uh, Westbrook says he's open to whatever coaching Ham provides. Ham says he's not committed on finishing with Russell Westbrook in crunch time. Uh, so they're, but they're expecting a turnaround season from Westbrook. So there's a lot of mixed signals there with the Lakers. There's uneasiness. And again, there is just, just, I don't even know what word I'm looking for. Uh, but there's nothing good surrounding the Lakers right now. And again, the Suns, there is a dark cloud of the Sarver. Uh, saga and treatment hanging around this franchise, a big dark cloud there, but it's distracting them. So there's a lot of distractions right now in the, in the league. That's why, to me, the teams I like to win the West are the Grizzlies. No distractions. I think injuries are going to be the thing that stops them, whether to Ja or Jaron Jackson Jr., Golden State looks like a favorite. The Clippers have been quiet, and they get Kawhi and Paul George returning. They look really good. So to me, those are my top three teams. I think Phoenix will still have a great regular season record. But they're not the team. And then out of the East, like I said, Boston, they had to answer a lot about Ime Udoka and their coach who's now gone. Uh, There's a dark cloud surrounding them. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets have chemistry and just a ton of issues. Uh, Philadelphia always has some question marks with James Harden. So to me, you look at teams uh, like Milwaukee, like Miami, that play good, have chemistry, culture, doing it the right way. Uh, Those are the two teams there that I'm looking at in the East. This has been Unbothered. I'm Josh. I'll talk to you all later. Bye, everybody.